Flypaniacs and welcome back to Flyperbole. I am Steve Jaco back here with Eamon Smith to get ready for your 21-22 Philadelphia Hockey Flyers. Eamon, how you feeling, man? It's a beautiful night to watch some hockey, Steve. I'm so thankful that the best sport in the world is back. And now, coming to you on an actual like television network and not just sort of a knockoff version of one. <laughs> NBCSN tried their damnedest, but really just ultimately was was not that great. And I mean, the did ES- they? They tried. <laughs> did I they try? Know. I don't know actually, but <laughs> I will say we're one episode in, or not one episode, but one game in. And oh goddamn, Pittsburgh won that game. But uh, the presentation was great. I think that you you mentioned the graphics design looked great. The score bug was really sharp. I I was very happy with this first presentation from ESPN. And, like, the videography was fantastic, too. They're showing shots outside of Amelie Arena, and it's, like, the bay right on the the dock. Literally, I didn't know that. It, there's a dock right next to Amelie Arena. They have never shown that before on a broadcast that I've ever seen. And uh, they just had some really beautiful shots of, like, the sunset on the water. And then uh, I thought that the – even, like, the booth – stuff that they were doing you know the intermission report and stuff like that was really well done i was shocked by how much i liked chris chelios in that role actually i thought he did a great job and kevin weeks was pretty good whenever they would actually throw it over to him and linda Cohn was fine they they definitely were a nice breath of fresh air compared to nbc if only for the fact that instead of pierre mcguire screaming at us about Sidney crosby <laughs> We doc, get, doc, Sid, Sid, talk to me tonight, Doc. This guy, he his hair smells so good. I can smell it from over here. He uses such nice shampoo. And Doc, while I could smell it from at least six feet away, I had to get right up there and smell it real close. Herbal essences, Doc, it's great. <laughs> now I'm going to talk about his high school. Let's talk about high school. Unbelievable. I uh, don't miss Emily anything. Kaplan's doing that now, and she's fantastic. She oh. even dropped a pissed off live on air in the first game, which was great. I mean, if you get anybody who's not the dean from community doing it, then I'm happy. Don't insult the dean from community <laughs> like that. That's so rude. I'm sorry to the dean. I, I didn't mean to de-dean you, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it, it's a it's a nice first episode, and I, I said I said episode again, but first game for ESPN. Now we have the the Kraken and the Golden Knights coming up, which should be fun. I get to flip between pay, playoff baseball and actual hockey that counts. It's pretty great, wonderful time to be back and podcasting about the ice sport. Before we get into our season preview, I just had to make a quick programming announcement uh just gonna read a couple tweets here from our dear friend craig forsyth sports are bad 
Craig tweeted earlier today, Hey everyone, since I've got some tweets and DMs recently asking me about returning to Flyperbole, I figured I'd say I'm not returning to the pod or BSH. It's a personal decision due to the fact that I want to put my mental health first. I'll explain what my 2021 has been like in a post in the next week or two. I have no hard feelings towards BSH, Steve, or anybody, and wish everyone nothing but the best. I'm going to continue to write and talk about hockey, it may just it just may be more focused on general NHL and draft coverage as well as less frequently. So that's obviously a tough pill to swallow, especially for longtime listeners of the show. And I know it's it's disappointing for a lot of people to hear Craig has been uh, a huge part of this show for such a long time. I mean, I've been podcasting with Craig Forsyth since I believe 2014 at this point. It's been a while. And I wouldn't even be saying it's been a while on the show if it wasn't for Craig. I, it's difficult to say the least. And uh, doing the show without Craig, even though I have some amazing people that have been uh, hosting with me and doing fantastic work, it's still difficult you know, it was such a, a mainstay to know that Craig was going to be there making all of the show notes and, and just contributing so much with that great dry wit of his. And it's it's going to be tough without him. I'm, I'm going to miss Craig for sure. And who knows what the future will bring. But at least at this time, uh, Flyperbole will be without Craig Forsyth. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but I, I'm glad that Craig is putting his mental health first. And it's such an important issue. Everybody needs to do self care and take care of themselves. And we wish Craig nothing but the best. I will absolutely be talking to Craig and, you know, um, I, I'm just out of words at this point, you know, it's, uh, it, it's tough to, to really talk about this and, uh, and to move on. But, you know, uh, the show will go on and, uh, I'm happy to do it. I love talking about hockey and uh, have some great people to talk about hockey with. I'd like to say a little bit about this too, if that's okay. I, I, this might be, I mean, obviously this is the hardest for you, right? But I feel like for me, it's pretty difficult too, just because for those who haven't like followed me on Twitter for a long time or whatever, or followed kind of how I got to BSH, I've, kind of grown to love the flyers and the network of SB nation itself and uh the website that i now get to write for because of listening to this show and listening to steve and craig since i was in like seventh grade and i have so many memories of just sitting in the car after work or on my lunch break in high school and listening to y'all talk and just make like (laughs) dumb jokes about Guy Fieri or whatever the hell and just cracking up and I mean Craig Craig is a big part of the reason why I wanted to write in the first place he did a lot of incredible stuff with Broad Street Hockey and it really does crush me to see him go but at the same time I know that it's what's best for him and I mean, there's there's literally nothing more important than his mental health, right, in this case. 
or anybody's mental health. Like you've got to take care of yourself before you worry about the wants or needs of others. And I think it's really good and it makes me happy and just makes me feel better about the whole thing that I now know that he's putting himself first, maybe for the first time in a little while. So uh, glad that he doesn't have to have this on his mind anymore or really think about it or worry about, you know, like people want me back on the show. I should maybe do this, but then also maybe it's not the best thing for me. And it's going to hurt knowing that he's not going to be able to come back. Right. But it's for the best for him. And that's what really matters here. I think all of the people who listen to this show for so long, uh, when they want Craig back on the show, the moment this tweet got sent out, that got thrown out the window because people care about you, Steve, and they care about Craig, right? Y'all are what the show was. So Craig Craig taking care of himself, I think, obviously takes precedent in the mind of these people. It's not going to be a, oh, the show is no longer the same or whatever. It's Craig did what was right for him. And I'm, I'm very happy that that's the way that this is going and that he's <laughs> kind of making the right decision here and that he had the introspective moment to kind of decide, you know what, I should probably do something for myself here. So that's kind of what I have to say about that. Yeah, that, that was very well put. And, uh, you know, that it, not enough people practice self-care. People need to take care of themselves. And I, I appreciate all the kind words. And I, my apologies if there are people out there that had asked for a status update on this through DMs or something. I'm very, number one, I'm very bad with DMs and I have been very public about this in the past. Emails and DMs, I am bad with. And part of that's my anxiety. Frankly, I have a lot of anxiety about a number of things, but I also just didn't know. I didn't have a good answer for people. And I didn't want to speak on behalf of Craig. I didn't want to presume anything. I didn't want to... And I also, I didn't want to poke in an area where I really just wanted to let Craig breathe and figure things out for himself and live his life until he can get there. You know, we all love you listeners. We love you very much. But at the end of the day, this is also, this is a free podcast, right? And as much as we love you, like we can only, it doesn't matter how much you're getting paid, frankly, right? Like it doesn't matter what the service is. You still have to take care of yourself at the end of the day. Yeah, that's the bottom line here. It's like, there are two people behind the microphones. So, people who really love this show and have followed the show for a long time, I think will be happy that Craig is taking care of himself because that's that's what they care about. They care about you guys. They don't care about being able to listen to Fly Perbly and that's all that matters. It's They like the people behind it. And it's it's a weight off of kind of everybody's shoulders i think to now know like this is what's going on there will be more detailed updates from craig coming some sometime down the road as he included in that little tweet thread and uh it's just a little bit of a relief to finally have that answer and know like he's taking care of himself right yeah absolutely so it's it's difficult and it's difficult to say goodbye even if you know who knows you know but even for a short period of time it's it's always hard to say goodbye uh but my apologies if i did not answer a dm on this or something i will try to be better with that but it is difficult sometimes and uh you know hey let's i i kind of just uh, am a little 
I, I'm not even sure what to say about this at this point. So when I'm out of words on personal issues and such, it is time to talk about hockey and with that gracious transition right there, just the, woo, woo boy, oh, just like the Kool-Aid man exploding through a wall. <laughs> oh yeah, it's time to talk about the NHL. So we've already got the Pittsburgh Penguins with two points in the standings, which is horrible. But screw them, they're they're gonna suck. It's time to talk about the Flyers, and we're gonna try and and do as much of a season preview as we can without in jokes and such but i make no promises on that what i'd really like to do is i'd like to do as straightforward of a of a season preview as possible followed by a brief explainer on some of the fly purpley in jokes i originally envisioned this as just uh kind of two parts this week a fly purpley episode and a season preview but then i looked at my schedule for this week and i said "Uh uh-uh not gonna do it not gonna happen we're just gonna roll it all up into one delicious meatball of a broadcast sounds good to me i'm i'm down for whatever direction you're taking this ship in i'm i'm just along for the ride here (laughs) there we go i like the attitude amen so firstly let's talk about these key off-season changes for the flyers and there were a few now I know a lot of people are talking about that the meet the new flyers, same as the old flyers, right? But there have been definitely more than cosmetic changes to this team, whether they're good or bad, we have yet to see, but they definitely flipped the roster in a lot of ways. So the, the first biggest move is Phil Myers, Philippe Myers and Nolan Patrick traded to the Nashville Predators for Ryan Ellis. And then Patrick subsequently traded to the Vegas Golden Knights for Cody Glass. So uh, a move that Eamon, I know, certainly had a number of thoughts on as both a fan of the Nashville Predators and the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, that was like, I think either the week after I debuted or the week I debuted on this show, um, which was a pretty fantastic week in my life, not going to lie. I love Ryan Ellis. Ryan Ellis is a great hockey player. Ryan Ellis is going to elevate Ivan Provorov to a level that we haven't seen before is my expectation. And I think... Uh, this is in my season preview article that should be coming out either tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, something like that. Um, but I expect them to be one of the five best pairings in the league. Um, it's sort of the range I'm shooting for at the very least top 10. This is all provided Ryan Ellis stays healthy, but if he does, I think that they will be that good together. And that's a huge deal for a Flyers team that has very little stability on defense or just kind of anywhere at this point. That's a focal point of the thing that I wrote that will be going up on BroadStreetHockey.com is we have no clue what the hell this team is and we probably won't for a very long time into the season because literally half the old roster is gone and replaced with new people. It's wild. It is wild and I... I'm so excited for Ryan Ellis, too. And uh, unfortunately, the big if you said was his health. And we're already seeing that as he's missed a few practices and people are starting to sweat his status going into Friday. Yeah, I mean, I would say the health thing is more of a he has like a part of his early career where he missed a lot of games. But the, the more recent stuff has basically been like one freak accident where he hurt his hand and... I think the other things were, I mean, 
You all saw the Corey Perry flying elbow uh, that knocked him out with a concussion for 20 games. And besides that, the other thing was he got hurt in the Stanley Cup final, played all the way through it, and then that extended his recovery time pretty significantly. So, like, he's had one actual injury that wasn't like a freak occurrence happen in the past three or four seasons or something like that most of the rest of the time it's not really been his fault there's not really anything he can do there so he might just be a fragile human being could be a problem but hopefully hopefully he stays healthy he might just be a fragile human being like the the man traded for ryan ellis nolan patrick who's currently the second line center on the vegas golden knights i i feel kind of bad about saying this but i really hope nolan patrick isn't successful there (laughs) I think that's a great place for him to be put in a position to succeed because they have such like great talent and it's a system where the wingers kind of drive how the game goes rather than the centers. The centers have pretty minimal responsibility. So I think he'll do well there. I wouldn't be shocked if he has like a 40 or 50 point season or something and everyone's just like, damn it. (laughs) But I mean, at the same time, I I can't root for Nolan Patrick to succeed. Just the the terms he left Philadelphia on and just such a disappointing player. I don't know why I have such beef with him. That's kind of the way I feel. Right. I I think one of the big things with Patrick is, and whether this is true or not, I guess it's up for debate, but it, it certainly seemed like he had a bad attitude and was definitely not a guy you wanted in the locker room when things were going poorly as they did often last season. And a big part of this offseason for Chuck Fletcher was turning over the locker room for leadership, getting rid of those guys that might have been malcontents, just guys who who weren't really uh, picking up, lifting up, lifting themselves up by their bootstraps when something went wrong, shit like that. But I think you saw a turnover with Nolan Patrick. I think I love Shane Gostas Bear, but one could argue also that when the when the going got rough, it wasn't necessarily Shane Gostas Bear you were turning to, and h- no. him getting traded for just cap space along with a 2022 second round pick and a 2022 seventh round pick to the Arizona Coyotes. Controversial move, to say the least, but I think one that certain people will certainly argue had to happen. I am a little more up in the air about that, but if you are looking to change the culture of this team, that was certainly a big part of that puzzle. I think also they were just looking at that as a way to open up room for some of the guys that they wanted to bring in this offseason, right? Like the Flyers were not exactly flush with cash going into free agency and the trade market. They needed to make some room, but at the same time, like Gostas Bear was probably the team's second best defenseman last season. Not a super high bar to clear, but I feel like he should have had some positive trade value. But we saw in the middle of that year, he got waived and nobody picked him up. So you knew he was considered a negative asset by the rest of the league. I'm still a little shocked that it cost a second round pick and a seventh round pick in order to get rid of him. I figured it would be more like a fourth or a fifth or something. Yeah. Uh, Because he still has a lot of potential as a player. And I think last year sort of showed that, well, he's not a... I score 60 points in a season type guy. He can be like a 40 point power play guy and be effective in that role as long as you're not utilizing him in tough defensive minutes or heavy usage, right? So that that shocked me a little bit, but I, I was okay with it 
because they needed to open up the money. The issue that I kind of had was um, what they did with that money afterwards, which I think we are about to get to. (laughs) Yes, we are about to get to that because the Flyers opened up some money and subsequently spent it when they traded Robert Hag, body bag Hag, a 2021 first round pick, a 2023 second round pick to the Buffalo Sabres for one Rasmus Ristolainen, which is a big deal, both cap hit wise, size wise, and controversy wise. I mean, we talk about controversy. Rasmus Ristolainen is the most controversial move of the Flyers offseason for good reason. This is a guy who is huge. He can beat the shit out of people. He can hit hard. But can this defenseman even play defense? Is he a good hockey player? I don't know. He can score goals. He's got offensive capability. But he doesn't seem to be able to play defense as a defenseman. So this is kind of where I stand on Risto. Like, we all we all know the different stances on him, right? Analytics fans, like the analytically inclined people, they don't like him. Traditionalists who are like hits and physicality and grit and stuff like that, they really like him. And then... People somewhere in between, just probably like you and me, Steve, we just hope he's good. For the love of God, just be good. I, I I see reasons that he can have a bounce back season, right? Like he was in the phantom zone, like the proper nightmare <laughs> realm in Buffalo for the first eight years of his career. And he wasn't like even properly developed. He was literally just kind of chucked into the league the moment he got drafted. And they were like, hey, kid. You're a second pair defenseman in the NHL. Figure it out. And this was a dude. And Rasmus Ristolainen just hanging out in the <laughs> Phantom Zone. He kind of does have the Zod goatee going on, doesn't he? And like oh, the multi-tone hair. Absolutely. If General Zod and Rasmus Ristolainen came down from Krypton to declare Earth their property, it would not surprise me. He he does look sort of like a evil Kryptonian. I'm not gonna lie. Or part of a new metal band. One of the two. <laughs> Why not both? He he got chucked into the fire. This is a dude who coming out of the draft, the profile on him was like, okay, so his hockey sense might be iffy, but his physical traits are incredible. So you hope that that kind of develops. And instead of developing him slowly, the Sabres just threw him in the deep end and hoped it worked and it didn't. Um, and like, also we saw some signs of life last year. Briefly, he was put with Jake McCabe. And actually had like decent underlying numbers. Not great, but they were about break even and he scored, which is fine for a second pair defenseman. Maybe not for a $5 million second pair defenseman, but if he's bringing that physical element and he's scoring points and, you know, he's not getting absolutely smoked at 5v5, then that's fine. There are reasons to maybe be hopeful, but at the same time... Like, you hope he thrives in that reduced role, but maybe instead, because you're putting him with Travis Sandheim, who is a guy who we already know is sort of prone to, like, egregious defensive mistakes that just always end up in the back of the net. And this is Ristolainen, who is well-known across hockey Twitter for being one of the most clippable players for, like, just absolutely going away from the play to hit a dude. Maybe this ends up just being a tire fire and everybody is sad and dies and the Flyers stink because they have one competent pair of defense because another pair of, or not another pair, but another guy that this team acquired that we'll talk about in a little bit is also pretty old and could like not be very good. So we don't, that's what I mean. Like when we're talking about this in the season preview here, 
there's so many question marks on this team. I don't think anybody knows what the hell they're going to be, including the people on the team. So Ristolainen just adds to that uh, uncertainty because you don't really know what he is as a player because seemingly everybody who escapes Buffalo just gets better. And then also you have no clue whether or not he'll be a good fit here if the coaches are going to play him well. Like it's all up in the air. God, I hope he's good for the wrist alliance, wrist alliance's sake and my own. But I, man, like not only was this a big price to pay, right? Like obviously Robert Haig is an all-star that shouldn't be given up no matter what. Who cares about Haig? The first round pick and the second round pick are a fairly big price. I think Isaac Rosen, I don't really know much about Isaac Rosen, but he's certainly going to get compared to Rasmus Ristolainen for the next few years. That is, if Ristolainen re-signs with the Flyers and that's going to be a sort of Damocles hanging over our heads the entire season. I'm not looking forward to that. He's already got a hefty cap hit and God knows how much higher it could go. Chuck Fletcher seems to think that this is a guy that is high value and they can teach to be better away from Buffalo. God, I hope Chucky two trades is right. Noted a factory of developing superstar NHL defensemen, the Philadelphia Flyers who took similarly talented, gigantic, physical defensemen, although less physical, I'd say, who had hockey IQ and aggression problems and Phil Myers and turned him into the next Chris Pronger. That's what happened, right? <laughs> That's Yeah, and Samuel Morin. That's exactly what happened uh-huh. with both of those guys. Next Pronger. Hey, Morin's not quite as fair because, like... He's been hurt, like, every other year. God hates him or something, <laughs> or at least his knees. God hates his knees. Oh, poor Sammy... Moran, but we'll get to him. Let's talk about the next big offseason change right here, and that would be trading of longtime flyer Jakob Voracek. Jake Voracek traded for Cam Atkinson straight up, and I like this move. I feel so bad for Voracek having to get traded to the Columbus Blue Jackets, and just that picture of him clean cut with his like trimmed down beard. Just looking like leave it the beaver style. I, I just felt like his soul had left his body. Yeah, like if <laughs> if Buffalo is the phantom zone, then uh, I've got to keep coming up with like hell places in cartoons <laughs> and <laughs> comics. Uh, we could go with the null void from Ben 10 here or the sh- I- I'll go with Ohio. Columbus, Ohio is like the shadow realm in Yu-Gi-Oh, right? Shadow realm. Like, <laughs> you're you, you're sent there and you're you're just like the dark shitty version of yourself like jeff carter <laughs> so uh Voracek suffering that same fate where he just looks absolutely miserable there but i felt like this was a good trade like one of the few moves this offseason i said in a tweet a while back like chuck fletcher really did a good job of with half of the moves this offseason making me like unabashedly excited for what was going on and then half of the moves made me angry and like feel vile and disgusting that i'm a flyers fan who roots for a team that makes dumb decisions like these so (laughs) i would i would put atkinson under the positive half of those i think you'd agree too i would definitely agree with that you talk about a culture change move you talk about something to change up the locker room atkinson is really a great move in that regard he is a a positive force he is a well-liked guy uh he's another 
buddy of Kevin Hayes, as we're about to embark on shortly, is the the Kevin Hayes brigade of just friends of Kevin Hayes that are brought into this locker room. Apparently, it's his team now, Shadow GM Kevin Hayes. Uh, Jake Voracek, I really think he's been an underrated hockey player in Philadelphia for the most part contributes a ton of assists he's a, a really just he's been a, a pretty consistent point performer even though it doesn't feel like it he certainly doesn't shoot enough for people but the guy has put up points over the years and he's just funny as hell i mean who's funnier than jake voracek he's blocked half of us on twitter but i mean that sielski trashing last year was so 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 great and He's done a lot for this franchise over the past few years, even though it might not feel like it to certain people. But also, Jake Voracek, he doesn't shoot that much, and he doesn't really play defense. And Cam Atkinson, guess what? He does both of those things quite a bit. He shoots quite a bit, and he plays defense really well. I mean, he's scored a bunch of shorthanded goals over the years, and he's going to be good on the penalty kill. And I just love the positive attitude. I think that's really going to bring a lot to this Flyers team. And... You know, you look at what Chuck Fletcher's added, right? He's added positive guys. He's added that grit with Ristolainen. Like, you can argue about what Ristolainen's actually bringing, but he certainly does bring some added toughness to this team, whether it's smart toughness we have yet to see. And Ryan Ellis is just awesome. Yeah, like, there's no qualifier on Ryan Ellis, right? I, I, I think this is the epitome of when Chuck Fletcher in the exit interviews said that they were looking to change the mix. I think it was the exit interviews. It might have been after some of the trades went down, but I think they liked the player they had in Voracek. Like, not, you know, so much that they weren't willing to trade him, but in terms of the on-ice performance, I think they still liked him okay and thought he was a good player, which is true. I think he is still a good player. Tenth all-time in scoring for the Flyers in points and... uh I, I believe it is he has the highest rate of assists of any winger in NHL history that is among the top 50 in scoring at that position. So pretty interesting career for him. I've always thought he was a fun player to analyze because he's like the rare pass first winger. Most wings like to shoot quite a bit more than they pass, um, hence why the assist rates are a little bit more skewed. But this this seems like a pure we want to change how the locker room functions type of move because love Jake. I mean, one of my favorite tweets by any player of all time is I think Charlie made a sarcastic thing about like Jake Voracek isn't trying hard enough. And then he tweets out in like, you know, very simplistic spelling. Are you fucking shitting me? <laughs> the are you shitting me tweet is an all timer what a surly surly man and i i loved him for it at least the flyers made up for trading the best orange beard on the team by getting almost this i would actually say a superior giant orange beard with ryan ellis ryan ellis uh he wins the beard to body proportion contest and also <laughs> it, it definitely looks more like a duck dynasty santa claus hybrid than jake who just looks like pure i am ginger santa claus kind of look I always thought Jake's was very like, I've been living in this cabin in the woods for at least two years. I eat like I've been eating just bear meat. That's it. <laughs> Good old bear meat Voracek over here. <laughs> but yeah, like this, this seems very much like a Voracek 
for all of his uh, positives and all of the amazing stuff that he did while he was with this franchise, cannot say enough how much I liked watching him as a player, even if he could be frustrating as times uh, at times. Definitely seemed like a guy where he's like, I'm going to play the way that I'm going to play, and I don't give a damn what you tell me. There was that one little glimmer of hope where you're like, ah, maybe he's going to like click well with AV and he's responding well to the messaging in the locker room because in that 2019-2020 season where the team was good, he started playing defense and it showed up on the stat sheet and everybody was really excited about that. They were like, wow, that was the best defensive season that Voracek has had in a very long time. But it, it just seemed like some of the messaging coming out of the room was basically Jake's going to do his thing. He doesn't really care what the coaches tell him. Like, obviously, he's going to get along with them. He's going to play the system. But at the same time, he didn't seem to, like, give consistent effort on defense and stuff like that. And if you're a young kid in a locker room, uh, which the Flyers had a lot of young kids in the locker room, and you see one of the leadership guys doing that, and then they're not really having any consequences for it outside of the coach, like, being pissed off at them, that sends not a great message. So I think that's maybe what was behind this is... Voracek is not exactly the best role model in terms of attitude to take when you're trying to be building a team culture, like team player culture. And Cam Atkinson is like the epitome of that guy where he's, I'm a short dude. I've had to work my butt off to get to the NHL effort player, heart and soul guy was that for Columbus for forever. And there's a reason why the fans were like torn up when he left. Oh, for sure. I, I think he's... And he's been saying all the right stuff since day one. Like, he is doing the pander to Philadelphia immaculately. Like, I don't think any... Like, Bryce Harper obviously did amazingly well. And Nick Sirianni's trying his best to do it currently and failing. But I, I think Cam Atkinson's done it incredibly well. I really like that as a locker room move and also for a penalty kill. But, you know, Cam Atkinson... That's uh, one of Kevin Hayes' buddies right there. It's all about Kevin Hayes. And this next guy we're going to talk about is also one of Kevin Hayes' best friends, actually. Keith Yandel. Uh, Kevin Hayes, when talking about the the very unfortunate uh, death of his brother, said that his brother was his best friend, but Keith Yandel was his other best friend, like his second best friend. And this is a very low-key move right here. But Keith Yandel sounds very excited to be with the Philadelphia Flyers. And he's another positive locker room guy. He He's very polite to his goaltenders. Apparently, he says thank you to his goalies. And I, I do appreciate I love that. that. I love that so much. Apparently, Carter Hart likes that, too. And if this is a move just made to make Carter Hart feel appreciated, I'm all about it. Absolutely. Particularly after the fiasco with how the coaches treated him last season, apparently. Not great. As we found out. <laughs> Yeah, not awesome. Not awesome to find that out in an interview with the Flyers or a, pu- a press conference with the Flyers that that was a problem. Uh, Elaine, a little too much ass there. Uh, <laughs> but I love Keith Yandel. Sonk, I, I like that pickup a lot. He's on a one-year 900K deal, so not a lot of risk. You can cut bait with him pretty quickly. This is a dude who has been a good NHL player for a long stretch of his career. He also, it's worth saying, uh, currently has the longest Ironman streak in the NHL, and he is going for the record for that. I believe he's going to move into second place all time pretty soon. But there's there's something to be said about you have a room with a decent amount of young players in it, right? Like Joel Farabee, 
but more so you have Travis Sandheim and Ivan Provorov who have really struggled to find consistency in the NHL. And then also you have Cam York coming up and Igor Zamula. And I think the Flyers made some smart decisions, not only just bringing in like Yandel to be a good locker room guy and everything, but then also now you have Ryan Ellis, who has been consistently one of the best underrated defensemen in the league his whole career. He's been great. I've watched pretty much all of it. And then you have Keith Yandel, who also was like a Norris contender at one point and scored a lot of points and has done all of that despite not being the biggest dude and not playing excellent defense a lot of his career. So it's it's sort of like a nice, you have guys who can come in and sort of teach you the right way to do things or how to find success type move. Because like with Andrew McDonald and like those other, oh, we need the veteran leadership type things. It's like these dudes have never been good. So I don't really believe that they can actually teach these kids how to be good players because they don't know what that looks like, right? But with Yandel and Ellis, I think that that's an additional piece of value for them is like they have been at that level. They have been great players and maybe they're not quite at that peak anymore. With Yandel, I think he's still an effective power play quarterback, but like not an excellent defenseman, but they can teach those uh, younger guys how to do things the right way. Yeah, I, I like that about him, and I, I'm very excited about Yandel from a power play perspective. I think he's going to be a really good power play quarterback on that top unit, something they've really needed for a couple of years now because, no offense to Ivan Provorov, but I, I he scored so many goals on that top power play, but he just does not move the puck smoothly. He's not a good quarterback on the top power play unit. Yeah, like, he scored a bunch of goals. Okay, how many did he take away by fumbling the puck at the blue line, getting stripped because he couldn't walk the blue line, or taking stupid shots into traffic, and then the puck getting bounced right out of the zone because of it? Like, that's that's what people miss. They're like, okay, he can get the puck through traffic, he scores the goals, he's skilled in one-on-ones, that's great, right? But on a power play, particularly the kind that the Flyers like to run, you want to have a guy up top who can really direct the flow of where the penalty kill is going to go so you can get them to commit more to one side of the ice than the other. You open up the central passing lanes and then you can get some cross crease movement happening. And that's how you score goals in the NHL. You either get the puck to the slot, to the bumper, or newsflash, you get the goalie moving side to side. And Ivan Provorov couldn't do any of that stuff. So as much as he has like a great banging shot that can find the back of the net sometimes and he scored 17 goals in a season once, uh, I would much rather have Keith Yandel or Ryan Ellis or even Travis Sandheim or friggin', I mean, in the preseason, Igor Zamula and Cam York look significantly better on the power play than Ivan Provorov has at any point in his career. So, I'm very done with Provorov on the power play, and I'm so thankful that they have a guy like Yandel who seems to be an expert in this capacity. Yes, I'm I'm grateful for that too, and hopefully this works out as we are hoping that it does right now. One of the other moves that we are far more skeptical about right now is the signing of Martin Jones to be the backup goaltender. Brian Elliott has departed. He's now the backup in Tampa Bay, which he should have played tonight because Vasilevsky didn't have it because the Pittsburgh Penguins scored three goals on him. What the hell, Vas? Anyway, I'm not bitter about that at all. Martin Jones, however, has been signed to a one-year $2 million contract this year. I'm skeptical. I know most Flyers fans are skeptical because Jones just does not 
had a very good last, what is it, three years with San Jose? He's been terrible ever since, like, the cup year, I think. Maybe the year after the cup year. He's he's not been good. He had three consecutive seasons with the same save percentage, which I think was like 899, all three in a row. Not 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 great. I didn't like that move at all. The only real positive that you can say about his track record for like the past recent body of work is that he's been durable, like he's been capable of playing a lot of games, playing them well, I don't know, but <laughs> he's he's played them, so if Carter Hart gets hurt, God forbid, they at least have a warm body that they can put in net. Oh God, that's not reassuring at all. And for the record, it's 896 save percentage, three straight oh seasons, God. which is remarkable, while his GAA went up every time. So 294, three, and then 328. So while the save percentage remains consistent, the number of goals he's letting up goes up. Oh, wow. I, I'd say that has more to do with the Sharks getting worse than that really does with him. But I mean, the, the main concerns that I have with him, I've seen... As recently as like last year, because my roommate's a Sharks fan, so I watched a lot of their games. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, rough. Um, at least they have some fun young players on that team. But he he has the occasional game where you're like, oh dang, he's actually playing quite well, and he'll he'll bail your team out quite a bit, especially on breakaways, right? Uh, but you trade that in for like for every one game you get of him being really good, and you're like, oh wow. This dude is like a legit, he could maybe start somewhere or something. You just watch that one game uh, and you you get like six games of him being either mediocre or he lets up like three softies and your head is in your hands. You're crying. You're contemplating why you even like hockey. Why do I root for this team, etc. Like that's, that's the Martin Jones experience is just maddening inconsistency with a whole lot of mediocrity to below that in between. And that's what his preseason was mostly like. Now, there there were a couple of games where people were getting really angry with Martin Jones. And I was like, I don't know. Like, those seem to be much more either like the Caps game, the final uh, game of the preseason. Watching that one, people were getting pissed at Martin Jones. And I was like, okay, on the defense, on the defense, on the defense. And then the one goal by John Carlson was not on the defense. But that was just a great shot. And like you would like him to maybe save that, but hard to beat that, right? And he did he did a little bit of softy in that game, but it didn't count because it was offsides. So you know Hooray. what? Whatever. It's just practice. <laughs> I have a lot of concerns about Martin Jones, but I I know what Chuck Fletcher is hoping is that the the lack of workload will really help him focus in on the games he is playing and show up. That's the positive spit on this is less work will make him good. That and then also supposedly the Flyers are a better defensive team than San Jose, which like very easy bar to clear. But at the same time, we've watched this Flyers defense. So they're prone to some pretty bad breakdowns. Again, I think they're way better than San Jose in that regard and most regards. But like, I don't know that they are monumentally better than the sharks or any other like bad defensive team they might have improved we'll see we'll see how the regular season goes but i don't know that he's going to benefit that much from defensive structure i think it's just going to be a question of when we see him for like 30 games this season right which is what i think we'll probably get is it we get 
15 really good games and then we get like 10 mediocre games and five absolute dog shit games or is it we get 20 terrible games and then like five of the good ones and five of the mediocre ones because i feel like it's one way or the other with him the only silver lining or not even silver lining but like thing that i can say really to comfort flyers fans is that i think this team has a legit goalie prospect in samuel urson down in the ahl he's going to need some time to get warmed up and comfortable in the pro environment i by no means think he is ready for the nhl at this point but in a pinch let's say martin jones is just absolutely crashing and burning and he is a huge part of the reason why the team stinks or something like that don't be shocked if samuel urson comes up and takes that job from him oh okay okay well i mean Thankfully, it's just one year for Martin Jones, so hopefully it could just Thank last God. the one year, and that's it. Uh, we'll see. Uh, one last one-year deal to discuss here, and that would be Derek Broussard. I'm not really sure how much there is to say about this signing, but I do like it. It's one that seemed like a no-pressure bottom six guy. Unfortunately, due to a major injury heading into the season to Kevin Hayes, it seems like Derek Broussard's going to start the season as your second-line center uh cool <laughs> <laughs> which is a problem because Derek Broussard did not even want to play center anymore he feels more comfortable at wing and that really shows where the Flyers center death is at which is a little distressing but that said I do like Derek Broussard I think he's a solid player and I'll like him more when he's in the bottom six yeah I think he'd be great as a 4C or as a fourth line winger like, he, he looked good in the preseason. He definitely fits the mold of the Elaine Vigneault flyers where it's like, we want a guy who's tenacious on the forecheck and is winning puck battles, right? Kind of like we saw with Tyler Pitlick in 2019-2020 and uh, Peak NAK. So he's not as fast as those guys. He doesn't go careening into the boards like a maniac, but he's very smart with the angles he takes and he's pretty efficient getting to the puck and tends to just have a really good stick and knows how to body up people in order to get the puck away from them. So I like that. He's only getting paid 825,000 a year for one year. That's a low risk deal. I mean, consider the fact that the flyers, what do they pay? Uh, Chris Stewart, like $700,000 or something like that. And Chris Stewart was not an NHL player. He was not even an AHL player. So this this is a step up in that direction. I think he'll be a functional bottom six guy. But obviously there's reason to, you know, feel your stomach churn as you look at him on the depth chart and see him on the second line. Yes. And before we get to the injuries, I just wanted to mention one last move that apparently just happened. Patrick Brown is part of the Flyers. Who is Patrick Brown? What is Patrick Brown? Where is Patrick Brown? He's a computer generated player. Oh, wow. How about that? All right. Well, good to know. I believe they, they claimed him off waivers. Sounds about right. That's usually what you do with computer-generated players. <laughs> is that right? Okay. So EA Sports just made him from thin air, and that's uh, what Patrick Brown is. So hooray for that. Unfortunately, key injury-wise, we did mention Samuel Moran earlier, but I don't consider him, unfortunately for him, a key injury since he is basically the seventh defenseman. However, Kevin Hayes is definitely a key injury. 
and Wade Allison is also hurt with uh, it just it's, those ankles don't just don't work anymore. So that's that's what's going on with him. Kevin Hayes has an abdominal injury. I still can't say that word. How about that? But this is a big deal. He's going to be out a few more weeks. He is already skating, which is great. But I, I still feel like he's not going to be back just yet and that's a big part of this team because he is the second line center and without him in there that's where you have Broussard up there so right now your projected opening night lineup you're looking at a first line of Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, Travis Konechny, Joel Farabee, Derek Broussard, Cam Atkinson, Lindblom, Oscar Lindblom, Oski Boy, Scott Lawton, James Van Riemsdyk and we've got Brown I had to scroll up to see what his name is again it's Patrick Brown. How about that? Nate Thompson. Oh, we forgot to mention Nate Thompson resigned, but you know, that's Nate. Yeah, Thompson. he's here. He's cool. Here. <laughs> Nicholas Albe Kubel for your fourth line. Defensive pairings currently looking like Ivan Provorov, Ryan Ellis, Travis Sanheim, Rasmus Ristolainen, and Keith Yandel, and Ryan, not Justin Braun. Or is it the other way around? It's Justin, not Ryan Braun. Uh, either works. Cool. <laughs> With Kevin Hayes in there, this is a much more solid lineup. Without him in there, it's a little it's a little iffy. I mean, I actually don't mind that third line. I don't love Scott Lawton at center, but I, I do like Oscar Lindblom and James Van Riemsdyk on a no-pressure third line. Uh, fourth line's a little ugly. Yeah, I'm looking at this lineup with Hayes and Allison in it that you've put together here, and it makes me sad because I'm, I'm very like enamored by it it would be really fun to watch these guys uh i mean you have Giroux, kateria konechny Fairby, hayes atkinson jvr broussard and allison and then limbaum lawton albe kubel which basically it feels like you've got a solid top six there with guys on the wings that have scored 20 plus goals and then centers that have also scored 20 plus goals in seasons right and then you have two third lines uh, one of which is supercharged with JVR, and the other one has Oscar Lindblom, who may or may not have a breakout season again this year. So, kind of hurts that they're missing Wade Allison, who we really like, and Kevin Hayes, who we also really like. And also kind of sucks that, I mean, we're supposed to see Kevin Hayes like 10 games into the season or something like that, but he's dealing with a similar injury to what Giroux and uh, Gostisbehere dealt with, where they had the season or two afterward, where they just did not look like themselves, didn't play well. So I'm sort of concerned that like he gets back and he's just not Kevin Hayes. And we saw last season when he was playing through some injuries, he wasn't Kevin Hayes, and he wasn't really an exciting hockey player to watch or a very fun hockey player, or just. All of the things that we came to expect and love about Kevin Hayes when he was on the ice. No, he definitely did not look like an exciting or fun hockey player. He was such a blast in his first season. And Kevin Hayes really seems like, well, number one, we have to factor in how difficult of an injury this is to play with. It is a very difficult injury to play well with. But also just like, it kind of feels like Kevin Hayes, if he's not at like 90 to 100%, is just not a good hockey player to have out there. Whereas, you know, like say Sean Couturier, I mean, Sean Couturier could play at 20%, right? 20% health and he's playing great. Like we've seen that happen. We've seen him score a hat trick with basically every CL in his leg just destroyed. 
Yeah, I think the difference here is Kevin Hayes is a pretty smart hockey player, and Sean Couturier is one of like the three or four smartest hockey players currently alive. The man plays chess. Everybody else is playing checkers. Yeah, he, he plays chess, not checkers. Dr. Coots. Dr. Coots. Dr. Couturier <laughs> is out there, and you know, even even Dave Haxtell knows that. I just had to mention good old Dave because he's getting Ugh. interviewed on the bench right now, and it just it's so weird. With his Zod beard. Yes. Yeah, we were talking about General Zod earlier. Kneel before Haxod. God, what a terrible goatee he has going on. It is a night. He is a '90s dad right now, and that's that's hack for you. Oh, I can't believe he got another head coaching job. Back to the hackless Flyers. Thank God. I'm not enamored with this opening night lineup, but I am curious about it. There is a lot going on. That leads me to the key storylines heading into this season. And there are a lot of them. And if we're looking at the center depth, which is what we were just talking about, Kevin Hayes injury, this is a really intriguing storyline moving into this season. Because when you get Hayes in, the lineup looks better. Let's say Morgan Frost also comes up, right? Then your lineup looks fantastic. Because if you can sub Morgan Frost in there for, I don't know, the third line, and it's like JVR, Frost, Allison, or Lindblom, Frost, JVR. Whoa, Hachi Machi, you are looking at a hell of a third line. I don't even know you scratch in that scenario. Like, that's really good. But... The fact of the matter is Morgan Frost, while having a tremendous opportunity to come in and play second line center, just wasn't quite there for both uh, both the evaluation of the front office and the coaching staff. I think the coaching staff, the story was the coaching staff wanted him a little bit more than the front office did. Chuck Fletcher really felt more comfortable with giving Morgan Frost some more time in the minors to get healthy and find his way back to 100% before joining the NHL team, which is probably the right call. We didn't really know his reasoning when we talked about it on the last show, but it's probably the right call. Yeah, I'd agree. And I thought he looked great in his first game back with the Phantoms. He scored twice, including an OT winner. Um... He should be back up to speed. He maybe just needs to play against some lesser competition and get his legs under him. Because I feel like when you go into a training camp and you haven't like had a full season in the NHL in your career yet, and you've got that high prospect pedigree and everybody's got big expectations of you, you go in there and you try to push really, really hard to make sure that you make the team, right? And that might not have been the best thing for him in that scenario because he's still coming back from injury. And when you're sort of forcing plays um, and trying really hard to make a roster and you're, I guess like it felt like he was trying to compensate for the fact that he was not back up to speed and was still coming off of an injury by trying to sort of force the game to come to him rather than letting it come to him. And one of the biggest problems that we saw with him in the preseason was, I think Charlie echoed this, but I I felt like he, when he was going into puck battles or the puck was loose or whatever, or it was getting passed around in the defensive zone by the other team, rather than anticipating play, because Morgan Frost's trademark is not just that he is a good skater or a skilled player, it's that he is an incredibly smart hockey player. He wasn't doing the usual, I anticipate where the puck is going and I'm going to grab it and I'm going to take it the other way kind of thing. It was more of a, 
he was a step behind processing or he would chase where the puck used to be get really over aggressive with how far he pushed up get out of position and then get burned for it so uh that's that's sort of where i can understand what chuck fletcher saw and he's like he needs some time to just sort of relax settle back down uh remember how to play his game at his pace and then you put him in the nhl so don't be shocked if we see morgan frost like around the 10 game mark right around when kevin hayes comes back or something like that i'm okay with that i i think he's more needed before kevin hayes comes back but I'm okay with that. I'd like to see Frost this year. And I I think especially if Wade Allison is still out of the lineup at that point, if you can sub him in there, I'm really just looking to get Nate Thompson out of the lineup right now. No offense to Nate Thompson, but some offense, man. I just don't think he's, uh, he's not an exciting hockey player. He's a, I think a capable fourth line center. Not much more than that. The guy can win faceoffs. He can play defense. He can produce what is not a negative result, but He's not an exciting hockey player to watch. I really want as much skill and talent out there as possible. And Morgan Frost has to be the most anticipated young flyer at this point. Well, it's either him or Cam York. I would say that the pendulum has kind of swung in the direction of Tyson Forster now. But I I would say Cam York, Morgan Frost uh, still definitely are the best prospects that the Flyers have if only because they are close to NHL-level players. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I think Tyson Forster is incredibly exciting because of that shot, and I think Zade Wisdom is certainly somebody that people are very excited for just for the the grit and hustle aspect, and of course the great story with Zade Wisdom. So the center death is definitely going to be a big storyline going on this season. Another big storyline, I would say, is Oscar Lindblom getting back to full speed. And right now we have Oscar Lindblom penciled in for the third line. But this is a guy who, when he's playing his best hockey, like we saw just before he he started undergoing his unfortunate bout with cancer a couple of years ago, the guy can play anywhere in the lineup. He can be a top line forward, really. So uh, to have this guy penciled in for like the third or fourth line right now to be a bottom six player, he might play his way into the top six for all we know. It's uh, Oscar Lindblom's recovery is not only inspirational. Uh, it's not only a great story to root for. It is also something that might work well for keeping some guys on their toes in the top six to making sure that some guys aren't resting on their laurels. Not that I would accuse anybody of doing that, but you know, it's certainly good to have competition and keep these guys competitive in any way that you can. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd say that like you look at the wingers that we have in the top six, right? Penciled in. Um, Konechny has one season where he drove play and he drove a line, right? And then after that, we don't know. Uh, he hasn't consistently done that in his career. Giroux, we know. He can do that. Uh, Farabee, while he has scored at a really nice clip, has not produced the underlying numbers that really reflect that he elevates the play of his teammates yet, right? He doesn't carry a line, propel a line, whatever. Uh Atkinson has done that at points in his career, but we don't know exactly if he can do that this year or if it's going to be more of a, he's a complimentary player. Um, And I mean, the only other really 
like well-established guy who can kind of juice up a line is if James Van Riemsdyk plays like he did last year, right? Because he had a great season last year, at least at the very beginning. Um, but Lindblom, when he was having that breakout year, that was the thing about him that was so exciting is it's like this guy is scoring at a good clip and he he looks like a 50-point player who could maybe score 20-something, 30 goals, but he's doing it in a way that you can see panning out for 82 games. It's not just a hot streak. It's not just a mirage. It's a, he is dominating shifts. He's making smart decisions, taking great angles to the puck. He does all of the, I guess, like intelligence-based skill stuff that comes with being a good hockey player really, really well both offensively and defensively. And that's why he's a player that coaches really like. He's not an incredible skater, but he's an NHL caliber skater. Um, He has an NHL caliber shot. He can get to the front of the net. Um, He's he's just pretty good at everything. And I can see him being the dude where, okay, maybe Derek Broussard isn't playing super well. Lindblom and Broussard looked good together in the preseason. It was them and Atkinson uh, as a unit. And I thought particularly Lindblom and Broussard worked really well together. They fed off of each other on forechecking efforts and net front presence and things of that nature. So maybe it's kind of we get that old Lindblom back where he can really propel and elevate the play of guys on a line with him. And that's huge for a team that's missing some centers. Oh, it absolutely is. And anywhere you can get that kind of depth is very important and i am just i want to see oski boy back at 100 percent. i want to see him kicking ass and taking names please oski boy we are rooting for you we're in your corner on the winger front i think the other big storylines are travis konechny and joel farabee where farabee really had a nice year last year you said number underlying numbers wise not so much but uh, certainly in the overt numbers the scoring numbers he was really good especially in the first half of the season and Travis Konechny on the other side of the coin did some stuff late, but, you know, it wasn't really noticeable. He really wasn't noticeable at all last year. And a bounce back season for Travis Konechny, I think, is one of the biggest keys for the Flyers having a successful year. And I know the coaching staff was happy with how he kind of answered the challenge on coming in in better shape and everything. And I'm really hoping that both of these guys can keep it turned on for the entire year. I think with TK, we have to set our expectations at like maybe that 71 point season was like the absolute pinnacle of what we're going to get from him. If he is playing at his very best on fire every single night, we get 71 points and a 30 goal pace out of him, right? Um, And maybe he's also not the player that we saw last year that was disappointing and invisible a lot of the time uh, or in the postseason where he scored zero points. It's something in between. Um, He might just be a 50-point guy who's a complimentary piece, but the Flyers could use one of those dudes. Now, if he comes out and he is playing like we know Travis Konechny can play, I think what we really didn't see a lot from him last year is, you remember like, when he had that 40-something point season um, that preceded the 71-point year, he was doing crazy shit, even when the team was not good. Um, like the the one goal against the Bruins where he flips the puck up in the air, knocks it back down, 
walks past a guy, walks on in and scores. That was the same game as the Giroux fake between the legs goal. Oh, just killer stuff all around. And the stuff that makes hockey exciting and what makes Travis Konechny a player that you love to have on your team. And it's also the shit stirring. The shit stirring was so vital the other year and, and such an important part of what TK brought to the game. It's the reason I call him the jerk store, right? Like, it's not just the Seinfeld reference. It's the fact that when he's at his best, Travis Konechny is kind of an asshole out there. He's a huge jerk. And I love having that on our side. He's drawing penalties. He is just being a force of chaos, an agent of chaos in favor of the orange and black. I think some of my favorite memories from the 2019-20 season are just like screenshots of Travis Konechny (laughs) making faces at other players or screaming at them from the bench. I think one of my favorite ones is, uh, what was it? I think the team scored the OT winner. Konechny skates to the bench. And then it's like Scott Lawton, Konechny, and I forget who the third player was, but they're all like screaming at a Rangers player from the bench or a Devils player. (laughs) And like, they look like a flock of like, angry seagulls or something a flock of angry seagulls the seagulls were angry that day my friends just go just all george costanza all the time i yes i remember that and it's so great like this guy is a total jerk off when he's playing well and i love it and i like when he made that the doy face at yeah (laughs) is it the canadians I I think it was I think it was in the first round. I yeah yeah like that stuff is fantastic. I want more of that. And on the other side though, like we were happy with what Farabee brought points wise and goals wise last year. Do you see more of that this year? Do you see his development continuing an upward trend, or you see kind of like uh, kind of more of a, a plateau for Joel Farabee this year? So I think Joel is gonna be the next like. Not a Giroux, not a Gagne, maybe, but just like a solid top line forward that is on the Flyers for a decent bit. So maybe maybe Gagne is like a better comparable. That's a good comparable. I I don't know. I don't know that he's ever going to score forty goals. You know, not with nobody on the Flyers the scores forty him. goals. I don't think yeah. there's been a guy who's been a goal scorer like that since Jeff Carter. God. Jeff Carter, right? You a penguin. I've always, I've always looked at Farabee as a guy where he's going to be when he develops into what he should be, somebody that analytics really like because he's just so smart, and you can see like there, there are defensive lapses here and there, and he makes mistakes still. But he's a guy where early in his career he really prided himself on penalty killing and his defense and his two hundred foot play. I think some of like the struggles that he's had on that end in the NHL have just been he needs to get stronger, he needs to get bigger, he needs to have more of a pro frame on him. I don't think he's ever going to be like a Hulk, but he can he can add more, right? And if he comes in this season, it's sort of like what we were looking at. I think Charlie and I, and who was the other person who really called this out? I think it might have been Thomas and Dylan Fremlin, who writes for us sometimes, who pointed out like the season before his breakout, there were a lot of those plays where it's like, if he's a step, a second faster there, if he's a step faster there, or if he's a little bit stronger and he wins that puck battle, that's like a big play. Right. Yeah. And then we saw him get a little bit better in those areas and boom, 
huge season, 17 even strength goals, 20 goals overall, which was tied for 15th in the league, um, led the Flyers in goal scoring, was one of the best even strength uh, finishers on the team, right? So if he adds a little bit more and he starts doing the stuff that leads to positive shot differentials and positive expected goals differentials and he keeps shooting, then I think we've got something really special on our hands here in Joel Farabee where it's like, damn, he's the next real cornerstone of what this team is going to try to build in terms of a young core. If Ivan Provorov and all of the rest of these guys from this previous rebuild don't work out, Joel Farabee is going to be the dude where it's like he's 25, 26, 27 when the next rebuild ends and he is one of the guys who is propelling the team to that next level. I don't know that he's going to have the exact same level of scoring success this year, but at the same time, he's going to get better power play time. He's going to be better on the power play, particularly now that he has a competent defenseman distributing him the puck. <laughs> don't don't be shocked if we see him have a similar performance to last year or he takes a small step forward. Well, I would love a step forward in any direction, but I, I'm just really hoping for Joel Farabee to, to just continue to shine. Loved watching him last year. And one of those guys who actually shot when he was on a two-on-one, which I very much appreciated. So him and Cam Atkinson welcome additions to those kind of scenarios. We already touched on Rasmus Ristolainen in a second pairing with Sanheim. I don't think any more needs to be said on that. We're just going to have to see what happens I think the last and biggest storyline to touch on is Carter Hart bouncing back from his just truly abysmal season. Just absolutely atrocious. I I think we've already touched on Martin Jones being a sufficient backup. We're not totally confident in that. But really this season, and it sounds simplistic to say, but it comes down to Carter Hart bouncing back and being good. I mean, the Flyers make the playoffs last year with competent goaltending. Yeah, that's not a stretch. I'd I'd say that's a fairly accurate way to put everything, particularly when they, again, have no backup plan if Carter Hart does not work out, mostly because they couldn't afford one. But it's, it's a watershed year for the team. It's a watershed year for the coaches, for the GM. And I think, while it's kind of a lot to say, because... Hart still, by goalie standards, is pretty young um, at 23, but it's it's a big year for Carter Hart to determine kind of what he's going to be because, as much as I hate to say it, elite goalies do not have the season he had last year at any point in their career. Now, there are a lot of reasons that that happened that are completely unique and probably will never be replicated or not be replicated for a very long time hopefully there's not another pandemic in our lifetimes but jesus man i mean it was hard to watch last year his confidence was shattered the coaches were throwing him under the bus there was no practice time to correct issues his mental health was a wreck he was living by himself couldn't really go see his family uh didn't have people checking in on him apparently the communication with the team was not good, and the team defense in front of him stunk, so that didn't really help anything. And we just saw him get shelled by the Boston Bruins a couple times, and then he was broken, and there was no fixing him. It's it's really terrifying to think that the entire season, yet again, is on his shoulders now. He's had insane expectations on him ever since his, I think, second year in Everett. 
that's still like a lot for what is essentially a kid. And I know that's funny coming from me, but <laughs> by hockey player standards, he's still he's still a kid. I mean, what are you guys? And like three years apart, two years apart, like yeah, three, he's three years older than me. Yeah. But uh, that's like I can't even imagine handling that kind of pressure. I feel stressed out right now, and I'm just dealing with normal school stuff. He's playing with the expectations of an organization and a town on him, or city, rather. Jeez. Philly is not a town. <laughs> I mean, we, we know what you mean, though. I, I think, you know, people have said, well, we all get what you mean. But yeah, I, I, the expectations are sky high, and the pressure is incredible. I certainly can't even fathom what he's feeling, and, and specifically... What goaltender for the Flyers is one of the biggest problem positions when you talk about like Philly sports, right? It's always the quarterback for the Eagles and the goaltender for the Flyers are the like two biggest pressure points when you talk about Philadelphia sports. And we've seen Philadelphia sports fandom break people. I mean, if you look over at the Sixers right now, Ben Simmons is essentially been broken by the Philadelphia fan experience and also his lack of being able to shoot a basketball, despite the fact that he is a basketball player, but it's, it's pretty wild to see the experience and see somebody that has really just kind of like folded under this intense scrutiny. And it's not, I'm both sympathetic and not towards the Ben Simmons situation and Carter Hart. I mean, we've seen it with so many guys now where we've seen Brian Boucher, we've seen Marty Biron, we've seen Roman Czechmonic, who Roman 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 might have the best numbers of any goaltender in Flyers history and is probably remembered as one of the worst goal- goalies in Flyers history, even though his numbers are all spectacular. Well, I mean, obviously Bernie Perron has better numbers than him, but Czechmonic is right up there and... Yeah, I mean, talk about a dude who is just absolutely crushed by the pressure. Uh, I don't, I don't know that Ben Simmons is really a fair comparison because it's like he's not being crushed by the Philly fans as much as it is the entirety of the NBA fan base who are cooking him for being literally incapable of shooting a basketball when it is probably about like twenty five percent to forty percent of his job if not more than that. So that's that's like a different thing for me. But well, with Czechmonic, that's like a good example of... But here's the thing. Dude could not take the pressure. Here's the thing about Simmons is he specifically does not want to play in Philadelphia anymore. And a lot of that is due to the fan pressure. So I, I do think it's relate a little bit more relatable than you do. But like at the same time, like Carter Hart... I really, I do give him a mulligan for last year, but this is really a, a prove it year. This is, I think this is when we find out who the real Carter Hart is. I'm excited and also terrified to see it. I am cautiously optimistic right now that Carter Hart is going to bounce back and have a solid season and return the Flyers to the playoffs, which is certainly not easy. It's never easy in the Metropolitan Division, the you really don't know what you're getting out of these teams anymore (laughs) and it's not going to be easy for the flyers but i do feel cautiously optimistic in carter hart right now yeah i i think he looks sharp in the preseason and i think also 
another like little subversive storyline. We mentioned this before, but Samuel Urson is here now, and he's a good goalie prospect. I'm not saying that he's going to like push Carter Hart out or anything, but I do think that the Flyers certainly look at Urson as like this is a dude who could be an NHL starter, and I think he he might be the halak to Hart's price, right? Where Carey Price took a little bit to get things figured out. And then Halak was there and he sort of pushed him and tested him, almost took the starting job from him. But then Price ends up pushing out Halak and becoming one of the undisputed best goalies in the NHL. Has probably the greatest season ever by a goalie in his career. Hart might benefit a little bit too from like, there's somebody behind me and he's going to be pushing me to be better too. For the record, Eamon, I do have to say that Roman Chekmanek both has the best save percentage in Flyers history and goals against average. Yeah, but he played in a different era. You've got to contextualize that. I, you said the numbers. You said that Bernie had better numbers. Yes, but okay, you have to you have to do era adjusted, right? Like if you go and you if do you want to run adjusted, the era adjusted numbers, be my guest. But Roman Chekmanek, I've done them before, and Bernie Perrant has one of the best save percentages of all time. If you look at his like prime years by any goaltender ever i believe you but i'm just saying he also had the two greatest playoff seasons by any goalie ever hey we are not debating that bernie is the greatest goaltender in flyers history that's the fact jack that's not even he should be more in the conversation in my opinion for best goalie ever i agree i agree completely and i think it's still a travesty that marty biron somehow just uh, sat around and farted away enough until he got that wins record <sighs> Marty Barone or uh Or not Marty Barone, I'm sorry. I love old blue eyes Marty Barone. Marty Brodeur. Yeah, you're just you're dunking on Marty Barone over here and he's just like, What did I do? What did I do? <laughs> what did I do? Old blue eyes. Uh I'm sorry, Marty Barone. I always liked you. Yeah, no, we're we're talking about a fat fuck uh, over <laughs> in New Jersey. Very subtle Newark. over there. Yeah, we're talking about old Thanksgiving feast, Marty Brodeur right there. Sorry again to Marty Biron. So we we are I'm cautiously optimistic on Carter Hart. We're going to see what happens. Time to move on to predictions. Always the most accurate part. First and foremost, where do the Flyers finish in the Metropolitan standings? Eamon, what are you thinking here, bud? Uh, They're going to finish fourth. Okay. Uh, Again, more cautious optimism from me here. I'm going to say... I'm thinking th- third right now i'm thinking third sounds about right kelly hinkle they're winning the division i mean i might have put some money down on them winning the division but we'll we'll see if that actually happens oh baby nice nice bet there oh you know the odds were pretty i'd say i'd say fourth is a good spot for me to pick i think hey if they're making the playoffs i'm happy and it's such a weird division this year because you've got pittsburgh who it doesn't have Crosby and Malkin for a bit, but they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight. So who knows? They, you know, have a bunch of Mark Donks, but who really knows if... Uh, Mike Sullivan is a wizard. He is really good. He might be the only other decent coach in the NHL. It's just him and Barry Trotz, and everybody else is a potato. Mark Donk and Roy Donk playing on the Colgate Comedy Hour. That's the Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> Carolina Hurricanes, they're a good, solid hockey team. They don't really blow me away, but they are they're a really good team. I'd I'd say uh, it's hard to tell with them. They're not a great team, and they still lack that. We're gonna see if their goaltending was actually an upgrade this offseason. But they might yeah, they might they might be 
like they lost Dougie and that hurts really badly, right? Yes. But at the same time, they now have Seth Jarvis, who looked great in the preseason and who is probably my favorite prospect in the NHL. Um, still pissed at the Predators that they didn't draft him because then we'd have Phil Tomasino and Igor Afanasyev and Seth Jarvis, but that's besides the point. And they also, as much as it pains to say me, have a talented point-scoring defenseman in Tony D'Angelo. Gigantic asshole. Bad at defense. Real human turd. Yeah, like, terrible person. But at the same time, very good at scoring the points, and the Hurricanes are a good defensive team, so he can afford to be not good at defense. But let's be clear, he's not good at defense. He has zero Oh no, he's terrible. Defense. He honestly might be one of the worst defensive players I've ever seen this side of Eric Gustafson who signed with the Chicago Blackhawks this week <laughs> what a bunch of dumbasses He's oh my terrible. god so like people think Chicago is gonna make the playoffs this season I don't know what the hell they're smoking have they looked at that defense Chicago sucks I don't Mark Andre Fleury cannot single-handedly carry that team to the postseason and if he does that's gonna be a Herculean effort for a dude who's like now what 37 38 years old a million years old yeah a million years old that's that's real old uh. sorry steve yeah like they have freaking seth jones and adam boquist and who else so what do they have i mean kane obviously can still put up numbers despite being a turd also and i like kirby doc and they get jonathan taves back I like and they have cat. dominic kubalik too and uh, Alex Dabrinkit. Like, their top six is good, but they have very little in the way of bottom six talent. They lost one of their best rookies from last year, too, in uh, Pia Suter. And then their defense is garbage outside of one and possibly two players, because we still don't know if Boquist is any good. He didn't look good last year. Yeah, I, I'm not really that confident in them being good, but we will see with them. So you were talking about Dougie Hamilton having departed Carolina. He went to New Jersey. That is another team I would be really shocked if they finished ahead of the Flyers, despite having won the offseason yet again. Yeah, I, I'd say the Devils, until they prove otherwise, suck. Correct. I like talent that they have on that roster. I think they have a really good 1-2-3 punch down the middle of Jack Hughes, Nico Hichier, and Igor Shangrovich. Um, Those are all players that I like a lot. I, I particularly like Hishie. I think Hughes, very skilled, very flashy guy, but I don't know that I like him as much as some other people do. And then they picked up some nice players. I, I like Tomas Tatar a lot. Uh, the traveling Tatars add another jersey to the collection. <laughs> Dougie Hamilton is good. I don't know that he is a, you know, five best defenseman in the NHL should have won the Norris good type player, but he's really good. And I think him and Ty Smith will be fun. What else do they have? Like who else is playing defense? Broken down PK Subban. Who the fuck is their goalie? Well, it should be Mackenzie Blackwood when he feels like playing this year because he did not get vaccinated. So he'll be in and out of the lineup, uh, depending on COVID protocol. Yeah. Like they, they don't have a proper goalie. I mean, they have Jonathan Bernier, who's like, he had a good he had a good season in Detroit, and he's a solid backup. Yeah, I, I like Bernier. I would have really liked him as Flyers backup this year, but apparently Jersey wanted to pay him some money. Yeah, but like I I just he's not a starter, particularly 
I mean, he played well in Detroit, but I don't know that you can expect him to sustain that level of play, especially when the Devils look like such a shit show defensively. And like I, I just talked about, I like some of what they've got going on in their forward group. Who do they have on the wings? Who do they have on the wings outside of Tatar? I have no like idea. Like, they've traded away most of their good wingers. Jesper Brad is fine, I guess. Miles Wood can be good. They have, like, some decent prospects. I like Dawson Mercer. I don't think he's going to start in the NHL this year, but, like, maybe he comes up and he's good. His skating doesn't seem to be NHL level yet, but, like, they, they just don't. Alexander Holtz didn't make the opening right roster, from what I can tell. I, I could be wrong on that. I, I didn't look uh, today, but... That's another one of those dudes where it's like he's your top winger prospect and he's not on the team. So they have they have a couple centers, they have a couple players, but again, it's just sort of like they have a skeleton crew around <laughs> the pieces that you would like to build a really good cup contending team around. And it's like they're they're just like a much crappier version of the Edmonton Oilers right now is kind of what i feel like oh so they're doing what the pittsburgh penguins did guy 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 crosby malkin guy 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 latang guy 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 mark dunk yeah except rather than putting a guy and a guy on the wings of one of the best hockey players of like the past two decades who was a generational talent and then doing the same for their second line because they just happen to have another of those guys they're putting them with nico hichier who's like a perfectly fine 2c borderline 1c when he's really playing well and jack hughes who's like also a pretty good player but not a superstar by any extension no he's definitely not there yet uh a quick aside a congratulations to the seattle kraken for finally getting their first goal as a franchise in the middle of the second period of their game against the Vegas golden knights ryan who scored Donato scored for the kraken oh X Shark Ryan Donato of uh, Twitter debate: What is a sniper? Mm, I think I missed. There, it. there was a whole thing about how to define what a sniper is, and this this sharks nerd that I know, uh, <laughs> Eric, basically said, "Oh, well, it's it's uh, the difference between their uh, expected shooting percentage and their shooting percentage." And then a bunch of people gave him wedgies and noogies and told him to shut up. <laughs> That's what you do to nerds. You give them wedgies and noogies and tell them to shut up. So Jersey should finish below the Flyers. Columbus should finish below the Flyers because who's really on there besides Line A, Boracek, and Wierenski? Hey, it's Igor Chinnikov. He's he's there too. Cool beans. And the big question mark teams in this division, like Pittsburgh obviously is a question mark. The Rangers are a question mark. I don't know what to expect out of them. They have obviously a lot of talent adam fox uh panarin but like is this a team that's ready for prime time is it are they gonna put it together this year god i hope not but they are a little scary i question whether the rangers put it together for a couple of reasons but i think even if they do this year they scream to me a team that in the end is going to be screwed and that they fucked up a rebuild that was almost gifted to them in like perfect fashion because now we've seen the second high profile prospect that they've drafted that they just absolutely butchered the development of in a uh, Vitaly Kravstov 
leave them. Uh, that came out today. There's like a whole thing about Kravstov wants to leave the team. He wants to be traded because he's not on the opening night roster. You can debate whether or not that's like the Rangers butchering his talent or they just took the wrong guy. But they did this with Leas Anderson too. A little bit in a different fashion. They just kind of chucked him into the fire and then broke him and then traded him for a bunch of magic beans to the LA Kings. But as one does. As as one does. But like this is another this was a top ten pick. This is a ninth overall pick that they had who was very promising, who now is not going to be on that team. And they're probably not going to get a ton back for him because he publicly wants out. He doesn't want to play for them. They don't have any leverage. And he sort of projects more as like a middle six center guy rather than being a true stud or breakout player or anything like that. But that that's like the troubling thing with them is they have some nice young talent. I like Filipito a lot. I really like... Uh, Alexis Lafreniere. I think he'll be good. I don't know that he's the superstar that we were all screaming about, but I think he'll be a very good NHL player. Kapokako had a really good sophomore season despite not scoring a ton, and I think he's due for a breakout this year. They get a full season of Panarin back. They get Zabanajed. Chris Kreider is still pretty okay. He had a good season last year. God, Zabanajed. What do you have, like uh, 45 billion goals goals. the Flyers last year? Holy crap. And then the the thing that like really is the question mark for them is what does Shishjorkin look like? Is he the dude that they think he is or is he just a league average goalie who had a couple hot streaks? Chances are because it's the Rangers and hockey God likes to make us miserable. He's going to be great, but they paid him a whole lot of money. So if he doesn't pan out, then that's a big problem for them. They just seem like a team where even if they're good this year, they're going to be hamstrung by giving out a lot of these huge contracts. Like they gave Barclay Goodrow six years. That's insane. That is insane. And it's a team that keeps getting talked about as a potential landing spot for Jack Eichel. And I have zero clue how they make that work long term. It's not feasible. Like they, they basically give up if they get Jack Eichel, which Jack Eichel is a really good player, obviously. And then they have a fantastic one-two center punch in, or one-two-three, really, because they they have Strom. I don't think Strom is all that good, but he plays well with Panarin, and he had a good season last year. You have Strom, then you have Zabanajed, and then you have Jack Eichel. That's a crazy trio of centers. And at that point, you could be like, well, we can put a bunch of bums on their wings, and they'll be fine, right? But, I mean, where's the money to fix the defense, Keandre Miller, you really got to hope that Keandre Miller is something special if that's the case. Because, like, you have Adam Fox. Jacob Troub has not been that good for them. Um, and he's getting paid a whole lot of money for a long time. And then you have Keandre Miller. And uh, I'm blanking on. There's, like, one other defensive prospect they have that's, like, interesting. I think he'll be good, but you don't know that for sure. They're really banking a lot on their young talent. And if they traded for Eichel, they'd probably have to give up a lot of that young talent, that cost-controlled ability that they have. So they just seem like a team where they're going to wreck themselves by just being too over-eager to make stuff happen. And I think that's very much indicative of like Mr. Dolan, now that the Knicks are no longer broken temporarily, has to stick his fingers into other stuff. So... (laughs) just gets bored and it's like oh let's check out what's going on in this uh side let me break my hockey team instead because you know they're they're being well run in a gradual rebuild and they have good underlying processes but they're not winning as many games as i like and uh we got our asses kicked by tom wilson 
So that means we need to go all gritty and fire everybody. Ryan Reeves That's time, what happened. baby. Yeah, Ryan Reeves, who is now hurt, apparently. Huh. How about that? How about that? So the Rangers are a big question mark. I think the Washington Capitals, for the first time in a long time, are a big question mark. I really don't know what to make of them. The Islanders are a perpetual mystery. You really could hit shuffle on this division five times and not get the order right any of the times for the division standings. I'd agree with you. Like, I think the Metro is the most chaotic of all of the divisions. Like, the Central, there's a clear hierarchy of where people are going to finish. The Pacific, it's like two teams, and that's it, right? And the Atlantic, we already know who's going to finish at the top of that division. Now, like, you could shuffle a couple teams here or there. Buffalo Sabres have But we know who the top four are going to be. Oh, my God. We know who the top four teams are going to be, right? Jack Eichel... Tampa, Florida, Boston, Toronto in some order. And we, we see how they finish, right? But those those are the teams. So the Metro, like, you could tell me that basically any team in this division outside of Columbus wins the division. And I feel like you could make an argument for it. Like, I don't think the Devils are that good. But who knows? Maybe a bunch of their young players take big steps forward Nico Hishier looks like a 1C. Jack Eichel looks like a super... Or not Jack Eichel. Jack Hughes looks like a superstar. Um, Ty Smith plays great. Dougie Hamilton's great. Mackenzie Blackwood gets vaccinated and then plays like full season. I'm peak Mackenzie Blackwood going crazy. And the Devils win the division. Like you could convince me of that being a really freakish reality that plays out. I don't think it's likely, but it could happen, right? There's an avenue for it happening. I don't think you can really argue that in a lot of other divisions. So who the hell knows? Like I, I'm picking the Flyers to finish fourth because I feel like they are a bubble playoff team in terms of talent right now with who's healthy. Um, and because we don't know what the hell the goaltending is going to look like. But you could tell me the Flyers win the division and I would believe you because they've got, I mean, if you look at this roster when they're healthy, they've got like, you could convince me this roster has like six, seven, 20 goal scorers on it. They've never all clicked at the same time. But there's the ability there. It's just a question of getting it working. Yeah, I agree with you. I I think you could be as optimistic or as pessimistic about this team as you want. Uh, the Flyers are as chaotic in their end result as the Metropolitan is. It's a crazy division. I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. And also just uh, mildly horrified. So let's, let's wrap things up. Uh, we're just going to go through some of the predictions for the Flyers awards for this season because we have been talking for a bit at this point. So let's uh, let's get through these team awards and we will call it an evening. So first up, Barry Ashby Trophy, best defenseman. I mean, for me, it's got to be Ryan Ellis, right? Like it might be Proveroff, but it's Proveroff like every other year. I'd be very surprised if it doesn't end up being Ryan Ellis. The only scenario I can see where Ellis doesn't win it is again, he gets injured, right? which is the main concern with him as a player. But, like, on the ice, I think he wins it. He's, I like Ivan Provorov a lot. I think Ryan Ellis is one of, like, the four best players on this team. I don't know that you can say that about Ivan Provorov right now. It's it's Giroux, Couturier, Farabee, Ellis, and then probably Provorov fifth. But that's that's, like... Where I stand there, I, I just think Ryan Ellis is a fantastic hockey player and doesn't get enough credit. And 
for a lot of his career, he's been one of the like five best right-handed defensemen in the league, and people just continue to overlook him. So I think he wins this easily, uh, particularly with the leadership trophy, trophy like kind of background behind this too. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing him on the ice consistently for this team on defense. So Bobby Clark Trophy, team MVP. I mean, it's always Sean Couturier, right? Like, I feel like I have to pick Sean Couturier. He's just too good. I mean, Coots is like, he's my favorite player to watch. Like, if I'm at the game, to just watch his every move because he's just so sharp what he's always doing. Like, the Chestnut Checkers comment, and for those newer listeners, uh, God bless you for hanging in this long. But I say, you know, when I'm a little buzzed at the game and I'm watching Sean Couturier out there, I say he's playing chess, everybody else is playing checkers. Because Sean Couturier is so sharp and smart, and he just looks like he's five steps ahead of everybody else out there. Yeah, like, you you see him make a defensive mistake once every, like, what, 40 games? Something insane like that? So, I, I feel like he has as good of a lock for the... Bobby Clark trophy every single year for the rest of his contract until he declines um, as anybody, right? But I'm going to go a different direction here. I will pick Carter Hart to win the Bobby Clark trophy. There's, there's a very easy narrative that you can see playing out here where it's like he has the big bounce back season and he looks sharp and he kind of carries a team where the defense is a little shaky to the postseason and he wins this in a landslide because legitimately it's kind of shocking to me that we haven't seen goalies win the MVP more consistently because teams do live or die by goaltending we saw that last year so and Flyers fans know that better than anybody so like Carter Hart I'll take him for the Bobby Clark trophy here if this team wins this division it's going to be because Carter Hart was friggin awesome and you'll see him as team MVP if that's the case Yannick Dupree Memorial, which is class guy, and uh, they're all winners in my book, but I, I'm betting it's going to be one of the new guys, either Keith Yandel or Cam Atkinson, because you've just heard nothing but great stuff about these just classy dudes coming in. I will take Atkinson and Ellis. Ellis always was like a big component of leadership in Nashville, but also did a lot of really great stuff off the ice. There's a little kiddo who I know who like Ellis showed up to his birthday party and he would like throw him pucks over the glass at games. He knew his name. He would always like say hello to him. Just like a really good dude. Ellis is, uh, and the consummate professional. So I wouldn't be shocked if he wanted, but Cam Atkinson just seems like a ball of light formed into the shape of a human being. Just like all smiles, wonderful guy uh doing all of the right stuff to endear philly fans to him he scores the goals he skates fast he wears gritty t-shirts in press conferences his wife's gritty t-shirt yeah (laughs) so i i think he's probably the running favorite to take this yeah i i think i really think it's cam atkinson is the favorite for this right now but we'll see next up pelly Lindbergh memorial most improved and if it isn't Carter Hart, we are in for a long season. I mean, it's got to be Carter Hart, right? It could be Carter Hart. I will offer an alternative option here and say that if Travis Konechny 
or Oscar Lindblom has a really big bounce back year, then they could maybe win that. Because, like, Lindblom didn't have the best year last year. If he has, like, 20 goals, 50 points, I could see him being in contention for this. If, like, Hart has a good but not spectacular season, something like that, especially with, like, the factor of this is a dude who is coming back from having freaking cancer, which, like, Carter Hart went through a really rough time last season, but, like, Oscar Lindblom also has been through some really tough shit. So there's there's an argument to be made there. I always feel weird about, like, talking about those kinds of things, though. Yeah, although I think this one isn't so much like the Masterton, where the Masterton's like, who overcame it's the just like who got, who got to come back? Better. You know, like, the Masterton's almost just like a, a grief award at this point. It's, it's very weird to talk about. Uh, not that those guys don't deserve to be honored, but it feels, as I've said in previous hyperboles, it, it feels weird to choose a winner for that category. And really, you should just honor certain people who should be honored for that. But uh, th- that's neither here nor there. Most improved, I always consider just more of a, a, a real flat out hockey performance kind of award. Next up, the Toyota Cup, the most important Flyers award, the (laughs) Game Star Selection. So usually it's the guy who ends up like, you know, just having like uh, the most big games. It's probably going to, it could be Carter Hart, uh, very real possibility, but I'm putting Joel Farabee for this one. I'm just expecting, you know, a lot of like two goal games here and there, stuff like that, where, where Farabee really steps up. I really consider Joel Farabee to be one of the, the key flyers for this upcoming season. I'm going to take Sean Couturier. Feels like the easy pick. The best player on the team. So that's that's my reasoning there. Really complex stuff coming out of uh, the brain of Eamon Smith. He's the best player on the team. There's just no other way about it. It's it's tough to say otherwise. Look, it's 11 o'clock at night, man. You're not, you're not getting complex analysis at this point. <laughs> Midnight for me, my friend. And on that note, Let's get to the last Flyers Award and call it a night. The Gene Hart Award for work ethic and dedication. Sean Couturier wins this one every year for good reason, because Coots is just the man. I'm going to go with Provorov for a change of pace, because this guy does have a great work ethic and dedication. He's lifting tires up mountains and shit. Like, we all know the legendary Ivan Provorov workout. And I think Provorov is really going to come in with a, a, a nice head of steam, especially rejuvenated with Ryan Ellis playing next to him this year. I'll take Provorov too. I think that's an excellent pick. And for the reasons you just illustrated, he's, I mean, Ryan Ellis said that he thinks Provorov is the only person he's ever met who likes hockey more than he does and like is more intense about it. And that's, that's the reputation he's always had is like, he is a machine. He may as well be a Terminator. (laughs) Now a Terminator who can run a power play? Maybe not, but a Terminator nonetheless who plays a billion minutes works his ass off every time he's at the rink on the ice in the gym uh is constantly thinking about hockey his his brain only has one setting apparently uh he gets one channel and that's it's just <laughs> NHL that's it that's the only channel he gets unlike Ben Simmons I'd be very happy if Ivan Provorov did everything amazing except shoot yeah i that that would function well cuz defensemen need to do other things other than that actually it sometimes is beneficial if they're mostly better at other stuff i do not mind for the record ivan provorov having a good shot though i just don't think he should be the top guy no it's not it's not like a oh it's bad that he has a good trait thing it's a he doesn't have another trait that's much more important 
And yet somehow people keep ignoring that because he has this one good thing, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that, I'm going to call it, that was quite a bit. I was going to go through some of the, the fly perbole dictionary for some of the newer listeners, but... Uh, we can do that another we're time. We're going to do that another time because I'm exhausted. It is time to go. But that's your flyer season preview, and I'm glad we stuck to the script for once. Oh, wow. It's been a while since we've done that. All right, we got the fly perbole mentions out. We'll explain those later. Folks, thank you so much for listening. If you have any feedback for us, the best place is on twitter.com.org.edu.ca. You can reach Eamon at Jin and UC, spelled like UC Soros, the goaltender for the Nashville Predators. Eamon, what you got to plug, my man? Uh, so we have a season preview coming out on broadstreethockey.com. You should read it, despite having gone through a, what is this now, like almost two hour season correct, preview correct. with but, us uh, just consider it supplemental material uh yeah just, yeah just read it it's read a, it this is the me. audio guide to go along with the visual companion yeah if you if you really love me uh you will read it and if you don't read it then you hate me and i likewise hate you and we will fight in the parking lot somewhere I'm at some point down to organize that let's a uh, tailgate <laughs> parking lot brawl and uh, i will show up with one of my favorite i'll show up with either a baseball bat with nails sticking out of it or just a lead pipe all right and then we 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 do rock paper scissors for who gets what and uh this is happening in the parking lot of the farg before like flyers bruins or something there we go perfect it's on follow Eamon at gin and uc you can follow me at fly Purbly or at estebum but if it is for hockey purposes make it fly Purbly. follow bsh radio follow broad street hockey make sure to listen to all of the great podcast offerings that we have on bsh right now bsh radio bill matz's post games checking out the competition all great stuff and next week the flyers forecast will be back in its abbreviated glory oh wow thank you so much for listening stay safe out there and remember be respectful to your in-game staff all right those people are working hard and putting themselves at risk for you for your entertainment pleasure so don't be a jerk be nice treat people with respect until next time in the words of the great gene hart good night and good hockey beautiful